0: Well, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and while you're turning there, let's go over Paul's flow of thought that he's covered from chapter 1 verse 1 all the way through to chapter 2 verse 10, which is where we will be today. So chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, Paul introduces himself to the believers he's writing to, believers who lived in Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey, it's a Roman colony there, very difficult place to be a believer back then, today too. And so he wants to encourage them. And so in verses 3 through 14, chapter 1, Paul lists seven spiritual blessings. He says, God's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters, living in a spiritually difficult place. And he lists seven of them. That we were chosen from before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. If you're trusting Christ, that's why. They were predestined to adoption. So because of Jesus' death on the cross, God predestined you to have God as your father. If you're trusting him, that's true of you. God is your father. I'm going to start preaching on each of these, but I will not. Okay, he gave us redemption, which is freedom from sin's power, and forgiveness, freedom from sin's guilt. All this because of Jesus. He's revealed to us his plan, the plan for world history. To unite all things in glorifying Jesus Christ. So we know where history is headed. We know how to focus our lives. He gave us an inheritance, a future inheritance of ever-increasing joy in Christ. In heaven, with all the redeemed, from every nation, tongue, and tribe, forever. And he gave us the Holy Spirit, who gives us actual tastes of the joy of heaven that we'll have in Christ tastes now in this life. Seven spiritual blessings, God given, has given us all of them. And then therefore, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, Paul says he prays that they, that we would see and feel the certain hope of heaven, the riches of the glory of heaven, and the immeasurable power God has given us now to keep us fighting sin until we get to heaven. So Paul prays that we would know and feel those truths. That's chapter one. Amazing blessings God's given to us. Are you feeling that? He's lavished his grace upon us, Grace Church. But now at this point, as I read chapter two, verses one through 10, and said, what's Paul doing here? How does this connect with chapter one? I think Paul at this point is aware of a potential danger. The danger is this. God has lavished these blessings upon us, but we could somehow start to think that these blessings are because of us, that we must have earned them, which means that we're better than other people who aren't saved. In other words, Paul's concerned that there could be a tendency at this point for us to start to become proud, for us to start to boast. And the reason I think that's his concern in verses 1 through 10 is because in verse 9, Paul says, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's where Paul's going in verses 1 through 10. He wants to keep us from boastfulness, keep us from pride with these lavish blessings that God's given to us. And so in chapter 2, 1 through 10, Paul is reminding us, listen, God saved us, yes, but we were dead in sin. We were by nature children of wrath, so he has saved us in spite of who we were, in spite of our sin, because of his mercy. And Paul wants us to remember that and to realize that so we won't become proud and boastful and think we're better than other people. Now ask yourself, Do you struggle at all with being proud and boastful and thinking you're better than other people? If you are answering no, let me appeal to you to dig a little deeper into your heart. Okay, okay, deeper, okay? And until you say yes, you're not deep enough yet. Now, now to help you, let me... Let me ask you a couple of questions. These are questions that, that help me and that convict me. Because I think we all struggle. We've been saved. The power of sin's been broken, but we still have indwelling sin. Right, church? And one of the most powerful of those indwelling, continuing sins is pride. And frankly, if you're not seeing it, then you're being deceived. If I'm not seeing it, I'm being deceived. Here's some questions. Do you ever think you're better than other people? That is, you in and of yourself... But, Apart from what Christ has done, that you, you're better than other people. Do you ever think that? Do you find pleasure in listing other people's faults? Well, they, they, this, and this, and this, and this. Are you troubled if people don't notice you? Do you ever think to yourself that God owes you more blessings? See, that's... Because of who I am, God, you owe me more. When things go wrong, do you often say, I don't deserve this. See what that says about your view of who you are between you and God? That he owes you? You've earned things? Do you often find yourself talking about you and what you've done when you're in a setting with other people? There's other questions, but do these help I hope hope you see, every one of us in this room, me, you, all of us, have a tendency toward pride, toward boastfulness, toward thinking that we've earned, merited from God, that we're better than other people, therefore. And this boastfulness and pride is, is deadly serious. One of the reasons I say that is because twice in the New Testament... Once in James, once in 1 Peter, there's a verse in Proverbs that's quoted, and it goes like this God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And that's what Paul wants to do in verses 1 through 10. He wants to help us fight against boastfulness and pride. And notice how Paul has done, that, done this in verses 1 through 7. We, we covered, we've already covered verses 1 through 7. Quick review. Verses 1 and 2, Paul says, we were dead in sin. It doesn't get any worse than that. Verse 3, by nature, we were children of wrath. All we wanted to do, all we willed to do was turn away from God and, and run the other direction. And we faced his wrath because of it. Verses 4 and 5, Paul says that if we're trusting Jesus today, it's because in great mercy and love, not because we deserved it, but in great mercy and love because of Jesus paying for our sins on the cross, God has made us alive. He made you alive, gave you a new heart, gave you faith in Christ, so you loved Jesus, trusted Jesus more than anything. In verse 6, God seated us with Christ in the heavenly places, so we share his power over evil spiritual powers that are seeking to draw us away from Christ, and that all of this that God has done, verse 7 It's not because of anything good in us. It's not because we deserved it in any way. It's because God wanted to display the glory of his mercy by holding you up forever and saying, look at how merciful I am. You get the joy of that. He gets the glory of that. We get the joy of seeing that. It's not because we've deserved it. It's because he wanted to display his glory, the glory of his mercy. So do you see how verses 1 through 7 help us fight pride and boastfulness? And that's the theme that Paul continues now in verses 8 through 10. So it's crucially important that we fight boastfulness and pride, and God loves us and God helps us by having Paul write what he does in verses 2 through 10. So let's look at verses 8 through 10 as we wrap up this section this morning. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast that's paul's target here let's remove boasting let's be praying as i'm preaching here as we're opening up god's word that god would remove boasting from grace church wash us clean from that this morning so that no one may boast why? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As I studied these four verse, these verses, I saw four truths, which I'm praying will help us. And I believe as we think deeply about these four truths, as we think about them deeply this morning, as we think about them deeply in the in the weeks to come, years to come, that God will use them to weaken, destroy, cleanse us from any sort of pride and boastfulness. The first truth is this, we are saved by God's grace, not our merits. That's the first part of verse 8. Paul says, "For by grace," underline those words in your bibles. "By grace you have been saved." So if you're trusting Jesus Christ this morning as your Savior, and as your Lord, and as your all-satisfying treasure, that shows you've been saved. You've been saved. And Paul wants you to understand that we were saved by God's grace, not by our merits. Okay, so what is grace? What does it mean to say that God has grace? Grace is is God's passion, God's desire to do amazing good for completely undeserving people. Incredible good for absolutely undeserving people, which is good news because we are completely undeserving because of our sin. All we've deserved from God, all we've merited from God is punishment forever. But God is gracious He loves to do amazing good for undeserving people. And that's what it means to be saved by grace. Now, the alternative is to think we're saved by merit. And, frankly, lots of religions teach that. And, in fact, I think all the rest of them do. And and that may be what you have been taught and that, that may be what you think. But, let me try to show you why that is the worst news in the world to think that you're saved by merit. See, you might think that God is up in heaven, and he's looking down saying, I want to find somebody who merits salvation. Find somebody who deserves salvation. Just find somebody who, who's earning salvation. Let's see. Oh, there's someone there who, look, they're going to church every weekend. They merit salvation. We want to save somebody like that. There's somebody over there. Look at that That. that woman with her children she's so patient she's merited salvation let's save her there's somebody over there look at that they're telling the truth even though it's going to cost them something we're going to save them you might think that God's in heaven and he's looking for people who will merit salvation saves this person saves this person saves this person saves this person the Bible says that's not at all what God does and that's the best news in the world God does not look to see people who merit salvation that he can save. The reason he doesn't do that is because nobody would be saved. We're all sinners by nature and choice. By nature in our hearts, all we wanted to do was rebel against God. That's all you did before God saved you. We mentioned this last week. Let me mention it again. That might sound harsh to you. You might think, well, what about the good things that I did or that that people do? But consider, even the good things you did before you were saved, they were not done because you loved God and wanted to please him. Be honest. That's not why you did them. The reason you did them was because you wanted to feel better about yourself. Because you didn't want to feel guilty. Because you wanted to look good to other people. Right? Because you wanted to get ahead. Telling the truth, I can help you get it. Right? Lying can mess things up. It had nothing to do with God. The good things we did were not done because we loved God and wanted to please Him and wanted to glorify Him. So even the good things we did were sin against God. Everything we did by nature, we were children of wrath. So if, if God's looking down from heaven, trying to see, okay, now, we want to find people who merit salvation, who earn salvation so we can save them. No one's getting saved. No one's getting saved. Heaven is empty if that's how God saves people. But that's not how God saves people. For by grace... By grace, you've been saved. God says, we're going to look down from heaven, and we're going to save people who are completely undeserving. That's what he says. Because Jesus pays for sin, God can show mercy. And so because you're trusting Jesus right now, that's what God did. He looked down and he saw you, dead in sin, by nature child of wrath, God sent Jesus to pay for your sin on the cross and because of what Jesus did, God brought his power upon you at some point and made you alive, birthed a new nature in you, gave you faith in Christ, you trusted Jesus more than anything, you loved Jesus more than anything and because you trusted Jesus, you were completely forgiven for all your sin, you are reconciled to God, filled with his joy, by grace we are saved through faith. Think about it like this. Jesus said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, right? It's those who are sick. It's those who are sick. So imagine that you're out in Abu Dhabi and and you hear off in the distance uh, an ambulance siren. Ambulance siren. It's getting closer. Ambulance is getting closer. Lights are flashing. Siren pulls up right next to you. Paramedic jumps out of the car, pulls out a stretcher, out of the ambulance, pulls out a stretcher, puts you down in the stretcher, hugs up an IV, gets the paddles going, press, you know, puts you in the, in the ambulance, gets in, drives away, siren, takes you to the hospital. Okay, now, see, at, at this point, you're not going to be saying, this happened because I'm so healthy, right? You're going to be saying, I must be really sick. It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, Jesus says. It is those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. How could he call sinners? Because of the cross. We're not saved by merit, by earning, by deserving. We're saved by grace alone. We don't deserve it at all. And if you will think deeply about the fact that you are saved when you did not deserve it at all, that will pull the rug out from under any pride or boastfulness. Is that happening? Let's think about that deeply. Second truth. We're saved through our faith, not our works. Oh, this is good news. Verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved, now underline, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Underline, through faith, and underline, not a result of works. So God's word teaches that to be saved, we must have faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. So we are saved through our faith, not through our Works Now, what's the difference? Works involve you doing something that needs to be done. Faith involves you trusting someone else to do what needs to be done. Let me say that again. Works means you doing something that needs to be done. Faith means trusting someone else to do what needs to be done. And there's lots of religions that teach that we're saved by works, by, by doing things. that We think God says need to be done in order for us to be saved. So we, we say prayers, we burn candles, we, we go to, to churches, we, we try to be good, we try to fight sin. We're, we're trying to do these things that we think needs to be done. That's not how we're saved. Our works can't save us. Why? Because they can't pay for our sin. The problem is Sin. Think about it like this. Even if you could live sinlessly the rest of your life, flawlessly, sinlessly, never losing your patience, never getting angry, always telling the truth, never exaggerating, just sinless life the rest of your life, that future sinless life would not make up for the past sinful life. So well, why not? That's not how justice works. Here's the illustration I've used. I might have already used it here. In the U.S., if you park uh, too long on certain streets, you'll get a ticket under your windshield wiper. It says you've got to go pay $50, $100, I forget what it is, something like that. Now, if, if I get one of those tickets and I go to the traffic judge, and I say, uh, traffic judge, I, I did park too long, I'm really, really sorry. And, uh, but I promise, I promise that from now on, I will always follow the parking laws perfectly. I promise I will never again park wrong. So that'll take care of my fine, right? That promise of perfect parking from now on, that will I don't need to pay the fine, right? What would the judge say if he was an honest, true judge? He would say, wrong. Why? Because you're supposed to obey the parking laws. That's not extra credit, which pays for something in the past. This is what you're supposed to do, right? So, future non-sinning doesn't make up for past sinning. We're supposed to obey God. God is so glorious, so wise, so real, so loving. We have every reason to trust him perfectly and obey him instantly. Obedience isn't extra credit. It's just doing what we're supposed to do. So even if we were able to live a perfectly sinless life for the rest of our lives, it wouldn't pay for our past sin. And of course, how many of us are able to live perfectly sinless lives the rest of our life? Uh, Please don't raise your hand. (laughs) We're saved through our faith, not through our works. That's why this is such good news. To hear that you're not saved by your works... I just pray for some of you right now, That's just like this, this burden is just being lifted off of your thinking. This is the best news in the world. And it is the best news in the world. And it's how merciful and gracious our God is. We're saved through our faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, faith, it works involves you doing something that needs to be done. Faith involves you trusting Jesus to do what needs to be done. So how does this work? Here's how it works. Somebody at some point in your life tells you the good news of Jesus. Or you, maybe you're just reading it for yourself in the Bible. You're reading the good news of who Jesus Christ is. So somebody tells you the good news of Jesus, and for the first time ever you see Jesus Christ in his beauty and his love and his reality, and his goodness, you see him, and you know, Jesus, you are my all-satisfying joy, and you promise to do what needs to be done, you promise to forgive my sin through your death on the cross, you promise to change my heart, plant a new nature, you promise to satisfy my heart with your joy, you promise to do these things. And so you turn from whatever else you were trusting to satisfy you and you put your trust in Jesus. You trust him to do what's necessary and the moment you trust him, he does what needs to be done. He's forgiven you. He's changing you. He is satisfying you. Supernatural change takes place the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And this didn't happen by works. Not by you doing what needed to be done. It happened by faith you trusting Jesus to do what needs to be done. It's by faith, not by works. Now think about how humbling this is. Imagine that you are in a war, you're a soldier, and you're three miles into enemy territory, and you are all of a sudden seriously wounded, bleeding profusely. You are in trouble. You're dying. There you are. But Jesus runs up to you, Okay, and he takes care of your wound, so your bleeding stops, and he picks you up and puts you around his neck, and he starts running back to friendly territory. So he's running, carrying you. Okay, You're, you're hanging on. He's carrying you. He's up mountains, right down mountains, across rivers, through deserts, through streams. He's running. He comes upon some enemy soldiers. He blows them all away, keeps running, and he finally gets through to friendly territory where he, he puts you down, and at that point... No one is going to walk up to you and say, good job. You did what needed to be done. Right? Who did what needed to be done? Jesus did. What were you doing? Trusting. You're trusting. Who gets the glory? Jesus gets the glory. Who gets the amazing salvation? You do. Do you see how that works? All the glory goes to Jesus. See, faith is the most powerfully humbling act there is to trust Jesus to do what needs to be done because I can't do it. But you do it. You promise you'll do it. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to hang on. And he does it. So let this humble you. We are not saved through works, through us doing what needed to be done. We're saved through faith. Is this humbling you? Is this washing any boastfulness away? Is this setting you free from thinking you're better than this person, that person? Oh, let it happen. Third truth. Our entire salvation is a gift from God, including our faith. That's verses 8 and 9. Here's what Paul says. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Notice at the end of verse 8, that word this, and this is not. Paul says there is something, he uses the word this to describe it. There's something that's not our own doing. It's a gift from God. So what is it that the this refers to? Such an important question, I hope. Grace Church, that as we're reading the scriptures, we're asking questions like this. What's the this? Lots hinges on that. Now here's, let me explain what the this is. The New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek language is different from English, in that nouns, participles have genders, masculine, feminine, or neuter, three possible genders. And the way that you can tell what the word this refers to, is by seeing what gender the word this has, because the author will have given it that gender to match a certain word in the previous sentence which has the same gender. So you can tell what the this refers to by seeing which word in the previous phrase has the same gender. Greek lesson for the day, that'll be it. Okay, we're done with that. Don't don't forget it, though. Okay. The word this has a neuter gender, but when we look at the previous words in the phrase, none of them have a neuter gender gender. Grace is feminine. You have been saved is masculine, and faith is feminine. Okay, so what's going on? If the author uses the neuter gender, which doesn't match any of the previous words, it shows that he's talking about all the previous words, the whole previous phrase. So, Paul is saying that God's grace is not from ourselves. It is his gift. He's saying that our being saved is not from ourselves. It is God's gift. And not even our faith is from ourselves. It is God's gift. the reason that you're trusting Jesus right now is not because that faith came from you. It's because that faith was bought for you by Jesus on the cross and given to you by God's mercy. After all, you were dead in sin. You were by nature pursuing sin. That's all you wanted. You were a child of wrath. Even our faith is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, that might be a new thought for for you. I mean, you may never have thought that your faith was a gift from God. You may have thought your faith was something that came from you. But here it's very clear, even your faith was a gift from God. Now, don't misunderstand what this means. If you're not yet trusting Jesus, this doesn't mean that what you're supposed to do is wait for God to give you faith. Just wait. Wait for it. Wait for it. It's not happening yet. That, that, that's not how it works. Here's what happens. You will see Jesus in his glory and goodness and mercy and historical and spiritual reality. You will, you will see him and you will choose to trust him. Look at him. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting him. You, you, you freely choose to trust him. That's what faith is. You choose to trust him because you see him. But the reason you chose to trust Him was because God caused you to trust Him. It's ultimately God. You were dead in sin. You wouldn't have trusted Him otherwise. Your faith was a gift from God. So let this wash away any kind of pride or, or boasting because your faith does not show that you're better than anyone else. Even your faith was a gift from God. A blood bought gift, purchased through Jesus' death, given to you freely by God. Left to ourselves, none of us would have ever trusted God. Would have never trusted Jesus. We would have kept running away from Him. But God made us alive with Christ, gave us a new nature, and part of that was faith. So let this truth that faith And all of your salvation is a gift from God. Let it it humble you before him. That's the third truth. Fourth truth, last truth. This is amazing. Even our good works are given to us by God. That's verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is amazing. You might agree that you were saved by God's grace, not your merit, and that you're saved through faith, not through works, and that your faith is a gift from God, but you might still look at how you've lived since becoming a Christian. You might look at your good works And you might think that your good works make you better than other people. You might think that your your good works earn God's favor and therefore make you superior to to others. You might think that because you you read the Bible so much, you're better than other people. Because you're so devoted to prayer. See, even Bible reading and prayer pride can sneak into that, right? You might think that you're fighting against sin makes you better than other people, that how generous you are financially or because you're such a devoted part of your home group is because you share the, or because you share the gospel with other people, you might think that these good works, because they're better than other people around you, make you better than other people. But see, in verse 10, Paul says, even your good works don't come from you, ultimately. Your good works come from God. Read verse 10 again. Isn't this what Paul's saying? For we are... His workmanship. Whose workmanship? God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus by who? By God for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So where do our good works come from? There's three steps. Step one, God prepares them beforehand. Way back before the foundations of the world, God knew he was going to save you, and so he prepared the good works that you would do. He prepared them. It's like, take the slab of clay, just a blob there, and it's like a potter shaping this clay, shaping, okay? Being patient. This clay is going to be patient this day, and this clay's going to share the gospel on Wednesday. So shaping, okay? He's preparing these good works beforehand. That's stage one. Stage two, then, in your life, God created you. At the moment when you were saved, he supernaturally created you, a new nature, a new heart in Christ Jesus for good works. So God prepared them beforehand. Then God created you in Christ Jesus for good works. And now you are his workmanship. Every day he's moving, working, like Paul says in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's at work. Okay? So every good work that any Christian has ever done was prepared beforehand by God, is a result of you being created in Christ Jesus for good works, it is a result of you being God's workmanship like the clay and the potter. So think about Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people saved. How did that happen? God prepared that for Peter to do beforehand. God created Peter in Christ Jesus for that good work, and then God was the workman creating that in Peter, and that's what took place. Think about Martin Luther. Why did Martin Luther read the New Testament, rediscover the gospel, start the Reformation? God prepared that for Martin Luther from eternity past he was created in Christ Jesus for good works including that good work and then he was god's work god was he was god's workmanship right the potter and the clay we talked a few weeks ago about jim elliot who went to the alca indians in ecuador and was martyred as he was seeking to bring them the good news of jesus they ended up coming to faith in christ from his wife and others but he was martyred where did that come from God prepared that for Jim Elliot ahead of time. You see that? God created him in Christ Jesus for that good work along with others, and he was God's workmanship. Why did you share the gospel with somebody this last Wednesday? God prepared that for you before the foundations of the world. God then created you in Christ Jesus at some point in your life for that good work and others. And this last Wednesday, God was the workman molding and shaping the clay. So where do all of our good works come from? God! God! So we can't boast in them. It's not ultimately because of you or because of me. Now, again, let me just clarify what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we, okay, so I should just like passively wait for God to move me to do things. I'll just sit here and watch a little bit of TV until he moves me to do things. He's not moving me to do anything but watch TV right now. Okay, that's, that's not how it works. Okay, How does it work? It works like this. We choose to read his word. We choose to pray. We choose to reach out, meet our neighbor, and show Jesus to them, and share Jesus with them. But... God works. God causes us to choose to read his word and to pray and to share the gospel. Now, there's a mystery there. Don't think that if God causes us to choose, that makes us robots. The Bible never says that. The Bible says God causes people to choose and they freely, willfully choose as real people. That's how it works. I can't explain that. That's what the Bible says, it's all over the place. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10 to see how Paul talks. This is exactly how Paul talks. Amazing scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. What was Paul? Amazing man of God. Church planter, imprisoned, beaten, stoned, persecuted, just kept going for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Let's plant some more churches. Where can I preach? Amazing man of God. Where'd that come from? By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I get this next line. I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. What's he saying? He's saying two things. First, he worked harder than anyone else. He did not wait for God to move him to do things. He worked hard at studying the scriptures. He labored in prayer for the church and for the lost. He battled sin fiercely. He worked hard at making tents. That's how he supported himself. In his ministry, he worked hard at encouraging God's people, at training elders, at planting churches, at preaching the gospel. Paul worked hard. But Paul knows that, this was, that he is God's workmanship. It was God's grace that was at work. It wasn't ultimately Paul. It was the grace of God. It was he's God's workmanship. He'd been created in Christ Jesus for all these good works, which God had prepared for Paul beforehand. Both are right there together. Paul worked hard, but it wasn't ultimately Paul. Even his working hard was a gift from God. So Paul couldn't boast it. it's not me, it's the grace of God. So I want to encourage you, work hard. Work hard. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Learn God's word. Pray. Be devoted to prayer. Listen, we are in this spiritually needy, needy country. And we need to pray. And listen, when we pray, God will work. God is working in some amazing ways. Don't miss out on being part of this. Give time to pray Let your kingdom come, that your saving will be done. So pray. Battle sin. Fight sin when it rises up. Work hard at your job. Display Christ's glory by being faithful, by working hard, being honest. Care for your children. Play with your children. Love your children. Love your wife. Love your wife, men. Serve her. Bless her. Women, love your husband. Work hard at that. Love your friends. Lay your life down for your friends. Serve, build up your your believing friends, love your co-workers, encourage God's people, share the gospel. My point is work hard. Are you hearing that? Mm -hmm. Work hard, but understand. But by the grace of God, I do those things. I work hard, but it is not I ultimately. It's the grace of God working. If God hadn't prepared those good works for you, you would do none of those good works. If God hadn't created you in Christ Jesus for those good works, you wouldn't do any of those good works. If God right now wasn't molding you as clay, you wouldn't be doing any of those good works. It's all God's work, and you work too really hard. He gets all the glory, and you get the joy. So all that to say, don't let your good works make you think that you're better than anyone else. Do you see that? they're gifts from God. You don't brag about gifts. You don't boast about gifts. They're gifts. Blood-bought gifts. And we, we lay them at Jesus' feet and say, all glory to you. This is all because of you. So Grace Church, let's take these four truths. And today, I, I pray that this morning, God is started to sink them deep into our hearts this afternoon, this week, in these next months, years, that you'll use these truths to fight the battle against pride and boastfulness, which we all fight. Let's not be proud. Let's realize we are saved not by our merit, but by God's grace alone. And we're not saved through works. We're saved through faith. We just hang on and trust Jesus. And all of our salvation, even our faith, is a gift from God. We can't even boast in our faith. I don't have faith because I'm better than anybody else. God gave me faith. And even the good works that we do now are all gifts from God. And so when we see this, it's just wrong for us to be proud and boastful and think we're better than other people. You see how wrong that is? It's just wrong. Let's just fall at Jesus' feet and say all glory to you, all praise to you, All honor to you. Thank you for my salvation. I praise you. Let's pray together. Father, come and work in our hearts now, I pray, with these scriptures. Thank you for what you gave Paul to write in verses 1 through 10 so that we would fight against any tendency to boast in our salvation, in our works, in our faith. I pray that right now you would wash us clean from boasting and pride any sense of superiority to other people. Lord, humble us deeply before your grace, I pray. We would just be on our faces before the foot of the cross, clinging to the cross, just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you a thousand times. Thank you for what you've done. I was dead in sin. By nature, I was a child of wrath. You've saved me. Lord, humble us now, I pray. And Father, I ask for any that are in this room who are not yet trusting Christ, have them see Jesus now and trust Jesus now, and enter into this amazing salvation now, I pray. In Jesus' name.